You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. We are back in the book of John, chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 37 through 50 this morning, focusing on 44 through 50. Now, I will say, in your, in your bulletin, in that notes section, you might want to uh, keep a pen handy because I'm going to be referencing a lot of passages. I do that a lot. So rather than have you turn to every single one as I read them, just jot them down and look at them later on your own. Otherwise, it will take a long time because I refer to a lot of different passages. So we're in John 12. If you don't have a Bible, feel free, obviously use, there, there should be a Bible in the a house Bible in the pew racks. If you don't own one, please take that with you. It is our gift to you. It is more important for us that you have a copy of the Word of God than that we hold on to stuff. Um, there's also a number of really good Bible apps. Uh, I use one called YouVersion. Um, if you glance over while, while Adam's preaching, you'll, ob- you'll, you'll sometimes, often, almost every Sunday, see me with both my Bible open and my phone up. I'm not on Facebook. Um, I'm looking up in other translations, and I'm taking notes um, in, in uh, my Bible app. There are some, some great ones out there. So John chapter 12, we're going to read the scripture, then we're going to pray. Starting in verse 37. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me, excuse me, the the one who believes in me, let me try this again, the one who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me, and the one who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak... I speak just as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Father, yours are the words of life and death. You want us to have life, so you warn us of death. Please, Father, open our eyes to see. May we not be like those of whom Isaiah spoke, who were blind to your glory and your greatness. May we hunger and thirst 
for that which this world cannot provide, namely and, and simply yourself. It is in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. This passage that we're looking at today is the very last of Jesus' public sermons. After this, everything that he does is directed specifically toward the disciples. So this is the last thing he's saying to the crowds at large. So I have to ask myself, why did he end this way? This message about listening to and obeying, following his word. So let's take a look. Um, in John 12, let's take a look at, at verses 42 and 43. It says, Many did believe him, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. The synagogue was so very important in their lives. It was huge. The synagogue wasn't just, it, it wasn't just a church. It wasn't just a place where they came to worship. It was the center of all social life, center of networking for business. There was a day and age not too long ago in our own country where, uh, specifically in certain parts of our nation, if you wanted to be a successful business person, you had to be a member of a church. Just socially, culturally, that was the thing. Back in Jesus' day, the synagogue was the center of everything. It was social community. It was aid when you were in trouble. It was the life of business. So being kicked out of the synagogue was a major deal. This wasn't something... Here today in our churches... We kind of church shop. We hop around. If we don't hear what we like, we'll move on down the road. If we don't like the people around us, we'll move on down the road. It's not that big of a deal. We've got churches all over the place. In Jesus' day, if you were kicked out of the synagogue, your business was toast. You had nowhere to go to get help. This was a major deal. Being thrown out was huge. And we've seen them do this before. If you remember back to John chapter 9, it's the story of the man who was born blind that Jesus healed. Now granted, this was quite a few months ago as we took a, a, a large break to talk about Invite Your One. But it was in John chapter 9. I'm just going to focus um, on verses 30 to 34 right now. But just as a recap of what happened is here was a man born blind. Jesus healed him. And it was on the Sabbath, which was a violation of the rules, and this caused people problems. The man got in trouble with the religious authorities, namely the Pharisees. And this is something that the man who had been born blind, in his rebuttal to the Pharisees, he says, this is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he, Jesus, is from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. 
Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach us? And then they threw him out. They didn't just kick him out of the place where they were meeting. They threw him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. So this idea of this fear of some of the the religious leaders not wanting to publicly proclaim Jesus because they they were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue, it's a real threat. It really happened, and it really happened based on someone's profession of faith in Christ or not. Matthew chapter 13, 3 through 9 says this. Then Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. Now, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. The disciples asked Jesus to explain this parable, and so he said this in Matthew 13, starting in verse 19. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground This is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. Those among the rulers who wanted to believe in Jesus, like, yeah, that's right, this this must be the Messiah, but they were too afraid to publicly make a stand for fear of what people would think about them, or either in the rocks or the weeds. They weren't fruitful soil. They, they weren't on the ground because they believed there was something there. But their belief was either shallow or choked out. What about our blind man from chapter 9? What was his response to being thrown out? Let's look at John 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man was one of the messianic titles. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped Jesus. The man who'd actually been kicked out of the synagogue, who'd been excommunicated. He didn't bemoan his plight. 
He had been removed from all religious life, all business life, all social life, pretty much everything. But he found the utmost worth in Christ alone. I believe, Lord, he said. And he worshiped Jesus. Because of Jesus, he just lost everything. You'd think, okay, he was blind. He was a beggar. He didn't have anything to begin with. He had more than he had now. Because now he wasn't even allowed to sit at the, at, at the, at the temple gate or at the synagogue to beg for money. He's been kicked out. He has to make his way alone in the world. And yet he worships Jesus. He found in Jesus Christ the only thing of value. It reminds me of a few weeks before that. When we looked at John chapter 6, Jesus had laid down some really hard teachings. And a bunch of his followers just couldn't take it. And they left. John chapter 6, starting in verse 66, we read, From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter, in one of his brilliant moments, because we know he had some not-so-brilliant moments, but one of his brilliant moments, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter was really good for those great declarations. You are the Messiah, the Christ. Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We sang a song last week that has that line in it. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. In Jesus are the words of eternal life. And that's what brings us back to today's message. We've tied in the stories from previous weeks past. And we see where they're all heading. In fact, this whole series, yes, we're going through John, but the whole series theme is that you may believe. Because that's what John says at the beginning. I've written all these things so that you may believe. He writes it at the end. Sorry. I tend to read books by reading the back first because I always want to know where they, where they end. I know, I'm bad. These are the words of eternal life. So let's take another look here at John 12, today's passage. I'm back in today's passage. John 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 44. Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. The one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father 
has told me. This book, this book contains the words of eternal life. This book is our path to salvation. Not just in the sweet by and by, but now. Because this book tells us, reveals to us Jesus Christ, reveals to us God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says that all Scripture is inspired by God, or the literal words there, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed. Do you remember in Genesis? How did he create humans? He made a shell, and then he did what? He made a shell, and then he did what? He breathed life. He breathed into this clay mold the breath of life. Every word in the Bible is God-breathed. Jesus says that the words that he say, he didn't make up on his own. He got them directly from God as a command to speak. Where should we go? His are the words of eternal life. In verses 49 and 50 of our passage, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. We're going to fast forward a bit, jump ahead to John chapter 17, verse 3, says this, this is eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. Actually, Jesus Jesus is praying at this moment. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus has the words of eternal life. Jesus says in verse 50, I know that his command is eternal life. John 17, 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life. What's eternal life? To know God. To know the one true living God through his son, Jesus. That is eternal life. How do we know God? I mean, we are blessed in this congregation to have some long-standing members, to have some very senior citizens. But no matter how senior you are, I am fairly safe in saying none of you were around when Jesus walked the earth. You have not seen him physically with your eyes. How do we get to know somebody? Not rhetorical. How do we get to know somebody? Interaction. Interaction. You have to meet with them, talk with them. This is how we know God. We have all kinds of teachers out in the world that teach what they think God is like. 
We have religions in the world that teach what they think salvation is or eternal life or the answer to the world's problems. We have God's breathed word. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. This book has the words of eternal life because through it we learn not only, we, we learn to know the only true God and the one that he sent. Now all of this that I've just said, if you were capable of, of, of jotting all that down, falls into the what category of the notes. Really long introduction. The cool thing is the next two parts are really short. So what? So this is the word of eternal life. So this is how we know God. So, so what? Knowing God isn't just a once and done thing. You know, I, I said a prayer, I got dunked, I'm good to go. Do you remember Adam's sermon from a couple weeks ago? Actually, two different sermons. When he spoke on Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and then Romans chapter 12, verses 2 and following. <laughs> We are to be living sacrifices. That is, continuously, constantly. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That is, continuously and constantly. It's not something that it's done and it's over. It's something that has to be done on a regular basis. It has to be done continuously and constantly. Show of hands. Baptist Church, I'm going to get like two hands. How many of you have eaten more than one meal in your life? Yes, I got a couple of people like, woo, yeah, you know, as many, you know. Um, my children are like hobbits. If you're familiar with Lord of the Rings in any way, shape, or form, if they can do six meals or more a day, they will. We don't make just one meal for our life and we're, I'm, I've been fed, I'm good. Most of us eat even more than one meal a day, don't we? Kids come to us every single day, come to, okay, let me rephrase that. Children come to my, well, they come to both of us. It's just, anyway. And they ask, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? And sometimes in, in our more whimsical moments, we'll say, I just fed you yesterday. Isn't that good enough? How many times do we need to eat? I don't know. A lot. Daily. Now, sometimes for Reasons, whether medical or spiritual, will take a fast. But eventually, we break that fast, don't we? Or at least we do if we want to stay alive. We eat, not just once, but continuously. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? 
Every word that comes from the mouth of God. So knowing God, eternal life, knowing God isn't just a once and done thing. It is a continuous process. And if the only spiritual nourishment that you get is on Sunday, that ain't enough. Can you eat just one meal a week and be physically healthy? If the only time you ever crack open a Bible and look at it is when the preacher says, now turn to Romans, turn to John, you are spiritually malnourished. If you're sitting here week after week and nothing is changing in your heart, in your mind, in your actions and your words in your life, if everything is just the same and nothing ever changes and you're never challenged or convicted, then something, brothers and sisters, is sickeningly wrong. There's one of two things happening. Either those of us who are preaching and teaching, whether sermons or Sunday school or what, are failing you miserably in a blasphemous way. We are not handling rightly the word of truth because God's word does not go out void. It does not go out and return void. So either we are failing you and need to be spanked or... You're not applying yourself to the lessons. James chapter 1, starting in verse 22, says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. The so what is that if these are the words of eternal life, if God's command is eternal life, then We need to be applying it. We need to be in it. We need to be saturating ourselves, not just being spoon-fed by Adam or myself or Mike or in a couple weeks, Daniel's going to be preaching. I hope you knew about that. Um, (laughs) um, You know, or by your Sunday school teachers or by the person on the television or radio. We need to be feeding ourselves. Now what? Now what? That's a tricky one because each and every single one of us is different. I don't know what your now what needs to be. I dare say that there are those among you that have much better spiritual habits than I do. So I'm going to confess and share my now what. In the course of my life and my days, I get really busy. And I've lost some habits that I used to do. And I became very convicted of this as I prepared this message. Yeah, I have my daily devotion, my daily Bible reading. Okay, great. 
But I used to do something called a soap journal. It's soap stands for, and it's not like dial where you, you know, um, stands for scripture, observation, application, and prayer. It's very similar to the what, so, what, now, what thing we have in the bulletins. But as I read a passage for the day, I look for something that leaps out at me. I go into it prayerfully saying, okay, here's my Bible reading, God. Talk to me. Convict me. Show me something in myself that, that I, I can relate back to you on. That's the scripture. I, I write that verse or those verses out in my journal. And then the observation, it's kind of like the so what. My observation, what's going on in that passage? I was, I've been reading through Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is the account of the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. He was diligent. He did not allow things to derail him from serving God's people and thereby serving God, from serving God by serving his people, by protecting God's people. It's kind of the observation of a passage I was reading. The application is how does that apply to me? It's kind of the now what? I need to be diligent. I need to be diligent in this. Back to James chapter 1 in, in verse 24 where it says, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. Am I persevering in it or am I just getting it done? Is it just something that's on my checklist? Read my Bible, I prayed, did the devotion, okay, I'm good. Now on to the rest of my day. I confess that's what happened to me. I had my Bible study. I'm studying for lessons. I'm studying for Scripture. I'm studying as, as, in regards to preparing um, a set of music for the sermon, but I'm not studying for personal conviction. It became academic, not personal. And the last is prayer. Turn it around into a prayer back to God. Father, help me to persevere in this. Help me to be diligent in this not as an obligation, not as a duty, not as something that just has to be done, not as something to check off my list, but something to get to know you more. The second thing, so that's, that's the first. The second thing um, in my, my now what, because my now what had two things. One, get back to doing the soap guide. And if, if you'd like to know more about the soap thing, um, I'm going to be doing an article in an upcoming um, Wednesday uh, newsletter. You know, our weekly, our weekly thing that goes out on, um, via email on Wednesdays. I'll be putting a little message in there about doing a soap journal, and I would love to talk with you. I've got all kinds of reading guides and helps and tips. and uh, Anyway, so if you'd like to know more about it, it there will be something in, the, uh, in, in, the, in an upcoming Wednesday update, but also feel free to give me a call, come by the office, um, talk with me, something. The second thing is I used to, oh, golly, I've gotten so bad at this. I used to really memorize scripture, and I'll confess, the last few years have been, well, hellacious, and I got out of the habit of memorizing scripture. So this week, 
I started re-memorizing scripture. Been memorizing verbatim Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I got back into memorizing scripture. Uh, a, a handy tool for that, I mentioned, you know, Bible tool. I like to use version for a Bible on my smartphone. But I downloaded an app called Fighter Verses. Fighter Verses. It helps in scripture memorization. Because it doesn't just show you a verse that you try to memorize it. It has little games that you play, and you fill in the blanks and all kinds of stuff to really help you work through memorizing the passage. Now, here's something I discovered, rediscovered, this week as I was focusing on Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. The more I recited it to myself, it got past my barriers. Now, I said that I'm, I'm focusing on memorizing it verbatim because those of us who've been in church any length of time could probably give a paraphrase of it. To, to remind you, in case it's not like forefront on your, on your mind, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us then also throw off the weight and the sin that clings so closely. I'm not going to go on because I, that's not the point. The point here is the latter part of it, it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And I seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And as I'm repeating these verses over and over and over to myself, it suddenly got through my blasé attitude about, oh, I've read this passage a bazillion times and I'm just going to memorize this. No, it got through it. Meditation, rumination. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. The joy. I don't know about you, but I don't usually equate joy with being nailed to two beams and hanging there, suffocating until I die. Joy is not the first word that pops into my head. And yet, the scriptures say, for the joy that was set before him. The joy, it's not the being seated at the right hand of the throne of God later on in the verse. What joy could possibly could he possibly have his eyes on as he's nailed to a cross hanging there, enduring the cross and despising the shame? It was an incredibly shameful way to die. And yet, the shame and the scorn that people heaped on him, whatever, didn't even care. What joy set before him could cause him in gentleness to say to one of the, the, the thieves and murderers who was crucified with him, remember the, the, the one who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom? The man, Jesus, is dying, being tortured to death, and he has a graciousness and a presence of mind to say to him gently, oh, I'll do more than remember you. This very day, when this pain is over, you and I, we will be together in paradise. This very day, we will be together, you and I, in paradise. The joy that was set before him, 
is the restored relationship with his people that was broken in Genesis chapter 3. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years of broken relationship is going to be restored. What is eternal life? To know God. So for that joy, the joy that he knew that he would be reunited with his people, that they would be able to have this deep abiding relationship no longer separated by the temple and the veil and the concentric circles of the, how far you could go in. It wasn't a religious thing anymore. It became relational just like he was with Adam and Eve. This is eternal life, to know the one true living God. And this book is our path to that knowledge. And so my now what is everything to draw me back closer so that the only thing that is really important to me is my relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Because it is an occupational hazard for this book to become a textbook and a manual to become something academic rather than a deep, abiding passion. You're now what may be different. Maybe it isn't. Maybe you're in the same boat I am. And needing to reconnect relationally with the God of the universe who for some inexplicable reason looks down on us, little bitty humans, with love and grace and affection. And it washes over me all over again. Man, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this at all. And I hear him saying, I know. That's why it's called grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I don't understand. I don't, I, 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 I really don't understand why you love us. But I'm so thankful that you do. That you have sacrificed your one and only son for us. That you have provided us your word that we may know you, the one true living God and the one whom you sent. Jesus. Open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear. In your most holy and precious name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music